Hey, 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 and welcome to another episode of An Ordinary King. Um, yeah, really excited to bring you this uh, episode of the podcast. Um, I sat down today with a very good friend of mine. His name is Alan Snashel. He's actually the father of a very good friend of mine, um, who has to plan a band with. And uh, Alan has worked in um, social working uh, for in Australia for about the past mm, uh, 40 years, uh, working for child protection uh, and working with disadvantaged youth um, in, in varying circumstances and, and trying to get them back on the feet and working with their families and the individuals themselves. Um, I wanted to chat to him to discuss this matter because it's there's a lot of it going on in the world at the moment, uh, in particular Australia and uh, mental health problems, uh, depression, uh, suicide's a bit of a thing. And we just thought, I just wanted to break it down with him and, and talk to him about what his opinions were, what his views are, um, where he thinks that we're heading um, in terms of mental health and are we getting better uh, at it or are we getting better with mental health at treating it and, and identifying it. Um, anyway, I, we had a great chat as we always do, him and I, and um, I'm super psyched about bringing it to you. So without further ado, here he is, Alan Snashel. was uh, mental health um, and disadvantage and 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 the difference in how people get into those situations how people get out of those situations and pathways that people take to get there uh, <clears throat> and where the modern day sort of where mental health sort of sits in everyday life and your experiences so first of all, I guess I want to start with a bit of a story in comparison. So it's around the 1990s, early 1990s, and a young group of kids uh, <clears throat> break into their local school, their local rural school that they go to uh, with the intention of taking paper and pens and cardboard because they want to build the world's biggest monopoly set and I guess they do this out of boredom what happened, <clears throat> they got caught and got in a little bit of trouble obviously in these ages between 7 and and sort of in 10 or, or that, sort of, that sort of age bracket and they got caught and how they got caught was one of their dads <clears throat> their fathers was cleaning their room and they found this notebook and inside the notebook was a list of all the items they stole and then a value next to it. And so, the, not, I don't know why. <clears throat> and so they, the father informed, was, oh, this is what's going on, told the other parents, boom, off to the cop shop they go. And then they get shown the cells. This is what it looks like if you keep getting in trouble. <clears throat> a few years later, they get into a little bit more trouble. Um, <clears throat> silly things um, similar breaking one of them or a couple of them broke into a, a farmer's shed um, stole some silly little bits and pieces um, some foreign currency and stuff like that and 
I think this is stuff that was all sort of born out of boredom. I think um, uh, taking a friend's car and doing burnouts and stuff like that at the domain, local domains, and uh, again, getting in trouble with police. Um, And doing their best to not be destructive, but at the same time be a little bit destructive. And I followed that sort of pattern as a kid for a while uh, until I found purpose later on in life, which was evidently film and television, um, which I, I always look back on as something that sort of saved my life as a kid um, because I, I found something different outside of the scope mm. of where I was living. <clears throat> but I still had a, a fairly shady sort of past and, um, and, and getting in trouble as I was a kid. <clears throat> There's an, um, I know a lot of other kids that are adults now <clears throat> that had a similar sort of life and ended up quite different. Right. Why is that? Um, look, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different factors that can play into what may happen to you as a young person, as a teenager, and then moving through in a, into adulthood that can change the way you behave and the way you act. Sure. All right. So I guess um, some of my background experience was working child protection for about 14 years. And my um, interest was, um, has always been probably since a teenager myself, is working with young people. Um, And when I say young people, I mean the youth population, so 13 to 25, that sort of age group. And we would be notified about young people who... um, we're doing similar things. So it might have been a situation where parents aren't coping with their kids, their teenage kids. They've contacted child protection because they can't control them anymore. They're out there. They're doing their own thing. They're not listening to them. Maybe you guys can help out. So in those situations, parents were quite willing to have us involved, would go out, would meet with the young people, would have a chat with them. And um, there's a whole lot of factors that were kind of playing into... Um, what was going on for them. So one of them might have been that they're not at school. Sure. So then during the day they're mixing with people who may be much older than them. So when I say much older, it could be adults, um, 20, 20 years and up. Um, they might be getting involved with um, crime um, and they're being used by these adults to, to you know steal cars or run drugs or whatever the case might be. Um, some of them got into prostitution and that sort of thing. Um, what was causing those, like, what was causing them to be like that in the first place? Well, often we would find that these were young people who were growing up in families where things hadn't gone well for a long time. So it might have been parents that had separated um, due to domestic violence or those sorts of things, parental substance use. Uh, I remember working with a couple of girls when I was out of child protection actually working for an agency that was a bit like Big Brother, Big Sister. Sure. And we were trying to find mentors for these two girls. They would have been 10 and maybe 15 at the time. They were living at home with their mum. Their mum was a heroin addict who was at the time on methadone, but she was not... The methadone wasn't holding her, so she would 
um, go out and top up with heroin or whatever. So, you know, these young people were coming from backgrounds where things were chaotic, where things weren't working. And for the 15-year-old, she kind of looked at all of that and said, I don't want to be like my mum. I don't want to be like that anymore. I mean, I don't want to turn out the way she's turned out. She wants to break a cycle. She wanted to break it, and she did. She actually left home and she um, started to get on with her life in a positive way. Did she leave home quite young? Um, I'm just trying to think at the time... um, we're probably involved for about three years, so from probably around 15 to about 17, 18. And I think during that time she left home. So the worry then was for the 10-year-old who was still at home and yeah. how she would turn out. Now, the 10-year-old had a lot of problems at school. Um, she was missing school. She was all over the shop. So, you know, the trajectory for her wasn't looking too good. The 15-year-old had kind of seen all of that and didn't want to be part of that, so I'd made a decision. So some of that comes from the individuals themselves. I think there's something within them that might... They continue along the track and others that are able to break out of it. And that's complex about why are some young people like this and others aren't. The differences are complex and why they do that, so... Because it's about responsibilities and it's about self-responsibilities and it's about looking at actions and and decisions that you make as an individual, even as a young person, say like teenage years, and being accountable for what actions you're doing in a positive or negative way. And that leads through to adulthood, right? Yeah, I mean, um, um, there's all those stage, different stages of development that um, people go through throughout their lifespan. Sure. And um, some of them never kind of get to the point where um, they, you know, realise their potential. You know, they get stuck um, and they become dependent um, whether it's on substances or alcohol to cope, and then that has all its own problems that um, that can, can that can go with substance use and um, alcohol use. Um, but coming back to your point about why some people are kind of, you know, some of the factors around young people and, and where they end up, so they could be starting off with a bit of petty crime like you're talking about. Sure. And, um, getting caught up in alcohol and um, and other drugs. Um, I think parents have a lot to do with it as well. Um, how supportive are the parents through this whole situation? And again, I come back to those parents who rang us who said, we can't cope anymore. In a sense, they'd kind of wash their hands of their kids. It That's- must be quite brave, though, for a parent to, to ring child protection services where traditionally I guess like personally like I'm I didn't know that that happened one that's something that I've just learned but on an outside perspective looking at it it's for a parent to make that decision yes that's some aspects of washing their hands but that to make that decision to look for help that's quite courageous and that, that there must be a lot of shame guilt uh, a, a negative kind of feelings that are associated with that and ringing up asking for help to start with yeah look i think our parents uh, are all, there's all different types of situations yeah, that sure. happen so you've got some parents that are just totally over it at this point 
they would say they don't don't want anything to do with their their teenage child anymore. So that's where adoption um, comes in. You know, you take them away, you place them right. somewhere. Okay. Yeah. We don't want to see them anymore. Yeah. Through to parents who say they're not going to live in this house if they're using substances. So take them away, fix them up, then they can come back once they're not using anymore. Yeah. So we had one parent who. Um, who had a, a 16-year-old that was using marijuana and there'd be evidence of that around the home. And the parent didn't want them to be using marijuana. So they gave them an ultimatum, they continue to use marijuana, they then kicked them out of home. So this young person was homeless, the child protection's become involved. And we said to them, look, we've got a problem here because they're using substances, it's going to be difficult to place them into a foster care situation um, with, with a person or a couple because most of them won't take young people that are using substances yeah there are some carers that have done some additional training and they're interested in taking more high-risk adolescents but a lot of them don't so the next step for them is to go into residential care residential care is a funded system where agencies get the money from um, state government to run um Houses, which are similar to houses around the streets, with rostered staff, with um, maybe two, three, four, five, six young people living in the home, all about the same age, usually with similar problems. So now this young person, this is a male, came into a house where other people are using not just heroin, uh, sorry, not just marijuana, marijuana, they're using other substances as well. Um, like heroin, like experimenting with um, LSD. So and, more consequential um, drugs. Possible. Well, we didn't get a lot of ice back in the day that I was working, yeah. but other substances yeah, that yeah, they yeah. were using. So we said to the parent, look, this is a risk. You know, we'll place the child in a place like this. They're going to turn out worse than what they are now. Don't care. Don't care. I can't deal with it here. So, so, quite, yeah, okay. so you've got that situation with some parents. You've got other parents. And then they would say, okay, I don't want him in that situation. What can we do to try and support them uh, at home? Let's keep him at home. And then we would say, okay, we'll become involved as a child protection service. Um, we'll come out, we'll visit this young person maybe twice, maybe more a week. Um, we'll support you, we'll link in supports. And hopefully um, this young person can, can continue to be at home deal with some of those issues and help you to manage some of that as well. So they might have to kind of change some of their behaviours. Behaviours, yeah, so yeah, is, yeah, yeah. So leading on from that, is that a situation where psychologists and social workers come in not just to help the the child or the, the adolescent but the parent as well and, and, Absolutely. and help fix the foundation issues? Absolutely, yeah. So we're there to kind of build, and this is through other agencies I've been part of. Now, we do the same where I'm working currently in, in a teaching capacity with young people that are coming in with a lot of issues yeah. where the, the student wellbeing team are trying to work with the parents and work with the young people. So if you can work what we would term holistically – And what we mean by that is looking at um, not just the presenting problem, it might be illegal activity by the young person around crime, it might be substance use, but look at what are the drivers for those things? What's actually creating that? Is it dysfunction at home? Is it the fact that there's domestic violence going on at home? They don't want to be at home. So they're out in the street. They're not coming home at night. You might have a a parent or a step-parent who's sexually abusing them. So they don't want to be at home. All right. So 
So you've got to look at the whole family and work out what the dynamic is that's going on within the family system. Yeah. And then um, the, the success stories, I would say, would be where families um, come to a broader understanding of what's going on within the family, are prepared to accept supports, prepared to recognise where that they may be failing as parents um, and work on some of those issues and also working with the young person themselves. Because often you've got to build trust. Um, there's a whole lot of mediation that has to take place about understanding each other's point of view and all that sort of stuff. Um, and in um, a number of situations, we could either keep the young person at home um, and this is through child protection and other agencies I worked with, or they would spend a period of time out of home working on issues to be reunified. Right. Okay. Um, the third situation is where young people never came back home, but that was okay. They moved into independent accommodation with support um, and they had a different relationship with their parents then where they could still communicate and all those sorts of things. How much does communication come into it? It's critical. Um, it's absolutely critical that if, um, you know, if young people can't, um, and, and this is right through to adulthood as well, can't express what their concerns and issues are, it's very hard for other people to, one, know that they exist, yeah, and two, work with them around possibly changing some of that. Is that dialogue changing now, and, and how people communicate with each other, with each other, or, or are we just becoming more aware, or more or less aware of of situations, and therefore more open to talk about it, or is, is it, or is it, or I, is it changing? Yeah, look, I reckon it is changing. The whole area of mental health is changing um, worldwide. Yeah. Um, you know, um, you've just got to look at. Um, the Me Too movement and people being prepared to come out and call out behaviour that's been inappropriate, sexual behaviour, other behaviours that have been inappropriate. Um, you've got the RUAK Day, which is um, is an action um, against suicide. So um, encouraging people to say, are you OK? Uh, and start a conversation with somebody to the point where they can say, no, I'm actually not okay. Um, and they, they might be uh, people right across the spectrum age-wise who are thinking about possibly taking their own life yeah. or self-harming and nobody's ever really asked them before, are they okay? That, that's a really big one, the, the suicide thing. I was reading recently that in 2017 there's been an increase in mental health which has led to suicide, which hasn't... I, I don't believe the statistic took into account um, alcohol, but I mean, like, just direct taking their own life suicide was raised uh, where it's just over 3,300 people in Australia had done that across the year, um, and 70% of those people were male. Um, the age range varied, but it tended to be sort of middle, you know, like 25 to 45 sort of age bracket and it's the fact that it's rising is that because things are becoming harder or just because that the public and the media and the institutions are becoming more aware of it i think better both yeah yeah i think people there might have been um 
people have died and the cause of death might have been put down to something else. Sure. Okay, um, sure. It might have been put down to a car accident um, or, a, you know, um, a drug overdose because they're out partying one night or something. Versus the overdose being purpose. Exactly. Yeah, sure. That um, they've purposely driven their car in order to have an accident. Yeah, um, sure. And they've died or they've... Um, you know, consumed um, alcohol and other drugs to um, to cope. So we understand that, you know, the whole self-medicating aspect of drug use and alcohol use, where people are using those substances to cope with life um, and holding them. So um, we would argue that that's like a maladaptive way of coping with what does that mean? So maladaptive. So you've got an adaptive strategy. going to fix this. Um, so an adaptive strategy to deal with stress and things that aren't going well in your life would be to talk to somebody, get sure. some help, um, assess what's happening in your life, make some changes um, to create a better work-life balance, those sorts of things, against a maladaptive way of coping with stress and um Anxiety, which is to um, self-medicate using alcohol, using drugs, sure. um, taking risks where there's potential you could die um, because you don't think your life's worth living anymore. It's all too much. So it's a maladaptive way of coping, you know. And some people will use alcohol and drugs all out all their lives, and and they're still alive at the end of the day. And but for other people, they'll overdose on it or it'll drastically affect the lives that they live. They might lose their job. They might lose their partner. They might, um, you know, now they don't have the money to pay for their housing. So house gets repossessed. Uh, now they're homeless. Now they're on mm. the streets. Um, so they've gone from being in quite, in quite a good position to be in a situation where... Um, Shit's dire. Yeah, and they're getting depressed. They're getting anxious and things aren't going well. Yeah, it's it's pretty complex, isn't it? It is complex, yeah. and I think there's no one answer to it. Like I think the more you get into this whole field, the more you realise that there are multiple um, things going on in people's lives and in the situation that they're in. And yeah, yeah. There's also history, so um, you know links. Um, you know, it might be um, around depression, could be an area that's um, inherited uh, in terms of the way the brain thinks and develops and things like that could predispose somebody to some of those those sorts of mental health conditions. Sure. Um, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know enough about that area. But, um, you know, there's been talk... You know, if someone suffered with bipolar or, or something within your family, um, there's been some discussion about, oh, how, how are you? You know, is this something you you have as well? And I know with Dad, and that's I know, it just we mentioned at another time, Dad suffered with bipolar, and um, and we uh, and it was mainly on the manic side, so you get quite manic with things. So. He would spend money or he would, um, you know, his whole mood would be elevated or he'd want to take on these projects that were impossible projects. <laughs> and, um, 
you know, and and he had to be hospitalised for a period of time because, um, you know, he just wasn't functioning well. And that would have been about the time that I was in probably year 11, 12 by today's sort of standards. So, so yeah. 16 through to So 18. probably 16, 18. Um, but we had a lot of support. So I think that plays into like mental health. Families that are going through mental health with one of their um, family members who are isolated, um, you know, it can be a lot more of a struggle. Whereas we had a lot of support around us and dad wasn't coping um but we had support so we went on we did our schooling we still had a home mum was fantastic very supportive so we're okay in a sense but that's not always the outcome for um for families so yeah and that that, that obviously shaped a lot of who you are and a lot of the decisions that you make now right like that at some point you were like either what's happening is avoidable or it's unavoidable and I can still do something about it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the bipolar was something mm. that was already in him and it was well managed. So that was encouraging and positive. So you were like, okay, we can do something about this. I yeah, I think get so. In. Yeah. Versus on still a positive note where some people are put in mental health or are brought up in mental health situations um, or circumstances, they it was they couldn't do anything about it, or it was difficult to do something about it. So they positively went into that to break that. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't leave much to go with that. I mean, like, I guess I'm. It's it's still about um, breaking the cycle. It's still about people at a young enough age taking accountability in their lives and in people in the lives around them to change it in a positive way mm. rather than going down destructive paths. Exactly. So I think what's happening more now is that it's being talked about more and people are feeling better about saying that they are feeling anxious or depressed, um, not coping with life. We're seeing it in the sporting sphere. Um, with an AFL football now, we're seeing it across the board in a whole lot of areas that previously we didn't and that didn't mean that it wasn't happening it just meant that people weren't talking about it um so the student group that i'm working with now there's people there that suffer with anxiety depression um they're on the uh, autism spectrum so they're not coping with just normal tasks a task that other people would see as being normal um but the the school itself is is um you know, understands that. And a lot of schools do now. They have wellbeing programs where teachers um, are moving into that field and they're employing others into that field that can, uh, from a, um, a welfare background, who can identify these issues where students can feel comfortable about talking about and developing plans and moving forward. So, um, you know, coming back to that Are You OK Day, it's a time, and I think it's around September each year, where there's a lot of focus on speaking up and saying yeah, something. Sure, sure. Yeah. Um, but the the idea from that is to build it into normal life where it's happening every day. Where people <coughs> actively and, and consciously and are asking questions of other people yeah. in, in, a, in a non-shameful, judging, 
awkward way. Yeah, yeah. like if, if one of your friends looks a bit down or your partner looks a bit down or they are not don't seem to be coping or a family member, um, saying, actually saying, are you okay? You're not looking too good today. Rather than just not do anything. Yeah. And I kind of think about those farmers who, particularly older men, who would feel a responsibility for family and they'd been working generations on the farm and the things aren't going well and the whole thing's going to be foreclosed because of they can't get enough money in to support everybody. And they're, they're bearing a lot of stuff silently and then they go off and um, end their lives. How, how does, in a, a situation like that, how do you broach that or how does someone work that out in a personal note and someone that's doing something like that 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 cannot talk to someone else yeah okay so how do you respond to somebody who may be quite shut off and yeah not or, want to or, talk about or things? how does that shut off person take that that verbal approach of, of opening up so both I guess. Look, I, again i think it's um i think we're moving into a time where it is um, a lot easier for people now to talk about it because it's across the media a lot more now um, whether it be social media or on print me- in print media or on TV whatever um, people are talking about um, what they may may or may not be coping with and there's a lot more acceptance around mental health um, and the fact is that we all have days where we don't feel good about things and we feel a bit down um we get anxious about things some people more than others uh, about any any tasks that they need to do um, for people where it's become a real issue it's become unmanageable for them so it's a continuum it's not like it's this you know it's not like you're depressed or you're not depressed or you're anxious or you're not anxious there's a continuum and everybody's on that continuum and some people manage their down times better than others for sure um some people manage the anxiety that comes with doing new things new responsibilities falling behind and needing to figure things out and confront reality and all that sort of stuff um it's a continuum for everybody um so i think um rather than demonizing anxiety and depression um it's about seeing that that's part of life where we do get upset about certain things and certain things do get us down and that's okay and but the thing is and often we can sort that with friends people that we chat with and we offload and we talk and we you know have a drink or whatever the case might be (laughs) and and we we deal with some of that we get back into life again for some other people um it it can be complicated by other things that are happening with the way their chemical makeup in their bodies and you know you've got you start to move into areas like clinical depression where it's being diagnosed because it's more physiological yeah and there's that's that's right and and (laughs) so look it's such a big big area and and I, i think proper diagnosis is improper is 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 important but people won't know these things unless people are actively demonstrating their depression or anxiety do you think there's not or they're talking here yeah, they're talking about it do you think not digressing so much but sort of opening up further into it do you think there's a disconnect between the community of people that are going through it and then the people that are trying to better the situation for them through language like do you do you think that there's a disconnect where 
people are going, these are the steps that you need to take and using whatever the specific language is right. and uh, terminology. And do you think other people that are going through those situations disconnect from that yeah, because absolutely. of the dirty words and like yeah, yeah, depression? And, and it really depends on how you're coming at it. If you're coming at it from someone who thinks that they've got the answer to solve this person's problem and they come at it from this is what you, this is what I think you need to do, bang, 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 and that person looks at them and goes... No, that's not what I need to do. Like, where are you coming from? <laughs> um, so I think what has to happen... Which builds distrust. Yeah, yeah. So you can't have, like, people who are workers in the field or family members or whoever it might be can be quite concerned about people that aren't coping and, you know, they're anxious, they're depressed, they might be concerned around them self-harming. They might have even spoken about taking their own life. Sure. And... Uh, they might go into this sort of solution-focused mode, which is, you know, this is what you need to do and bang, 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 and like you're saying, perhaps have a predetermined list of steps of what this person needs to do to get better. Yeah. And But whereas I think you have to, you have to flip that and you really need to sit down and make connection with people. Yeah, you have to build rapport with people. Build a relationship. You have to build a relationship. Listen to them. So tell me what what's going on in your life. Tell me, I want to hear. You, so you and just need to be genuinely interested. Because one of the biggest pro- exactly one of the biggest problems we have is that we don't listen. We don't know how to listen to people. Why? Why is that? Um. Is it because people oh, got their sure. own shit going on, and that it's like that? There's that that Friday itis, Monday itis kind of thing in some aspects, where they're just like they're just doing their job. Yeah, it could be a bit of that, and and also because that person actually genuinely doesn't like the person that's going through that that problem. Do you know what I'm saying? Like where you get like because some people you just get along with, and some people you just don't. Yeah. And, and do you think so? Just human? Do you think there are a lot of human elements as why people can't communicate in those levels? Yeah, I don't. I think people um, have lost the art of communicating where it's about listening to, to what people have to say and, and letting them speak as opposed to a conversation. So what, a couple of terms that I, I was taught a long time ago was dialogue versus conversation. Oh, yeah. Conversation is where you might say something and then it triggers something in me and so then I'll say something yeah, and then sure. you think about something yeah. else. So we started off at point A and we've ended up at point X. Right? <laughs> uh, but that's okay. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and we go, we'll see you next week. You know, great, great chatting with you, catching up. Whereas dialogue is a bit more intentional. So it's where somebody will sit down like a friend or family member or any you know someone that's working in the field who will say so what's brought you in today what's happening and they'll stick with what the person's saying and they'll build on to what the person's saying and they'll reflect back what the person said they'll paraphrase what the person said they'll summarize what the person said and all of that is checking in with them to make sure they're on the right track because when you do that, the other person says to you, no, 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 what I mean is this. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, you got 50% of it right, but you didn't remember when I said blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So communication is so critical. And it's about how we listen to people um, tell their story about whatever it is. And if we are better at that across the board, 
it, it will be about listening to when someone's got something fantastic to tell you. Yeah, you can hear, you listen, and you're interested. Because sure. if people have got something good to tell, they want to tell people. But how often do you come up and you say something good and someone goes, oh, yeah, 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 and they might give it a little bit of lip service and they'll go on to something that interests them. And you go, oh, well, you know, that didn't really... <laughs> but, yeah. Well, fuck. Yeah, just, what's the point? What's and, on Instagram? And, and I, 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 either I'll give up on you as someone I'll talk to yeah. um, or I'll, I'll work with you a bit and I'll say, if I value the friendship, can you just listen to me for a minute? Did you just hear what I just said? I've just said I've done X, Y and Z, which is amazing for me. I didn't, I've never done that before. Oh, all right. And I might sort of jolt the other person back into, oh, okay, yeah, all right. Do you think some of that is though as well, like where one person doesn't recognise, like just on that, doesn't recognise quite that other person's achievement because it's not as like, because that person's achievement might have been something really mundane like, I don't know, let's say painting, right? And they value what they've done because they don't do it all that much and look what I've just done. And the other person's not really, doesn't have quite the same value. As, don't no, hide, so that's right. But the skill is that you jump out of yourself for a period of time, yep. forget about yourself and focus on them. So it's important for them. Yeah. So you start to um, connect with what's important for them. And you say, so tell me about that. What, what, you know? Um, okay, so you did exit gift mine. Is that the first time you've done that, or like I'm really interested? Sure. And then you promote some discussion about something that they're either good at or achieved or whatever. Um, if we're doing that, if we're doing more of that all of the time with people that we love, that we work with, whatever. Um, even in, for people whose job it is to understand people and assist them and help them move forward, the more we can engage with that person and what their issues are, what their struggles with, forget about trying to solve the problem for them, which is very difficult for us as males particularly. I think men like to, as men, we like to solve problems sure, um, and fix things up Um and uh, we can, and I'm guilty of this as well. I, you know, I'll try and find the solution, and my partner will say, or someone else will say, I, I'm not, um, I don't need you to find a solution to that. I just want you to hear me. I just want you to hear me. Oh, and I've got to keep pulling myself back because I can think of a better way of doing that. You it's know? like, all right, uh, relax, yeah, Alan. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right, that's right. And so we get into problem-solving mode. And coming back to that point where you're saying with people with a, almost like a script about how to support somebody, sure, they're coming at it from, this is what I've learnt about this problem. And before I've actually really sat down and listened to what you've got to say, within 30 seconds I've summed it all up. I've summed up your whole problem. In now I've got seconds. a whole range of solutions for you. Just listen to me. Just listen. Bang, bang, bang. Any wonder they kind of look at you and go, oh, forget it, you know. They haven't even heard me. You might need to sit with someone for half an hour and just let them talk. Just let them talk to you about what it is that might be on their mind, what it is that's worrying them, what's getting them anxious with permission to do that without being judged, without me coming back with solutions, just hearing them. And sometimes allowing somebody to just talk about what's on their mind and what's worrying them can solve it for them. 
they start to process it themselves. Like once they verbalise it, like sometimes for people it's all built up inside and, and they can't get it out. So the quick fix is to grab some alcohol because I want to feel better sure. or go and do something else that will make me feel better temporarily. For some people it's exercise, for some people it's sex uh, or any any sort of wraparound that um, it might be food, it might be alcohol and other drugs. But what they need help with is to just to sit with them so they can get it out, so they can talk about it. And then once it's out, they can kind of see it a and bit better. It. A bit better. For some people, they've got to write stuff down. Mm. So tell me, write a story. Write it all down and then show me next time um, if that would help. A lot of people like writing diaries because it does that. It's cathartic. They get it all out on paper. Yeah? Um, so people, so I think we've got to get better at being able to listen to somebody's story and give them time like sometimes you might only have five minutes and you can tell well this person needs probably i might even need an hour of my time i don't have it right now i've only got five ten minutes they've just hit me with this thing so you say you give them five minutes and you say what you're saying is really what i'm picking up and this is all about the reflective listening stuff yeah sure you 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 come back to them and you say wow You've just hit me with a whole lot of stuff here about what's happening in your life right now. And it sounds like it's absolute, you know, it's not good. It's not good for you right now. I, I get, I, I'm hearing that really loudly. Yeah. I reckon, can we make another time where we can sit down and just get into that a lot more? Like, what's a good time for you? So for them, it's like it's a start. They feel like someone's listened to them at that yeah. point. Wow, I've now been validated. Um, yeah, let's make a time. And then I can go and do what I have to do. So I have to feel anxious. Because the worst thing you want to do, someone finally opens up about something uh, that's causing them a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, and you shut them down because you've got to be somewhere. Sure. Right, you're looking at your watch and they're going, oh. but for them, they might have been sitting on this for months and finally they've got the guts to come up or whatever to come up and mention it to you yeah yeah or to me and so i've got to respect that i've got and that's what i mean i've got to ju- try and jump into their space yeah rather than just go oh, whoa 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 uh, and then I'll just, <laughs> go. yeah look um yeah yeah gee it sounds like you had a pretty tough time look um look just hang in there mate hang in there <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and, then, yeah. and you go, whoa, oh. <laughs> and you go, because I've got to, you know, but but honour it, honour it and realise that this could have taken months for them to get to that point. So then say to them, um, this is what I'd encourage, wow, I've just heard, you, you, you just hit me with a whole lot of stuff that's pretty serious. Sounds like this has been on your mind for a long time. Yes, and they'll tell you, they'll come back. Yes, it has. Yeah, yeah it has, yeah. it has. And, um, you know, have you spoken to anybody else about this? No, I haven't. You're the first person I've told. Okay, now I've got some context. If they said to me, oh, yeah, I've come out of a a two-hour session with a a counsellor today and and I've talked about all of this stuff, blah, 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 and I just thought I'd let you know, you kind of go, okay, all right, and and, and are you seeing them again? Yeah, I'm seeing them again next week. Are those sessions going well? Yeah, they are going really well. Good, well, hang in there with it. You know, it sounds like you're on the right track. Yeah, I am. It's going well. As opposed to someone who says, I've never told anyone before 
apart from just now. Have you seen anyone else? No. Uh, have you spoken about this with any professional? No, never. You're it. You go, whoa. Okay, this is a critical moment for them. But there's still there's still like a, um, an element of even if they have seen someone, been like seeing a, a, another, like say a psychologist or a social worker professionally, and then they open up to a friend. There's still obviously like an element that the psychologist or social worker isn't able to break down, and which is why they're approaching a friend or someone else to start with, right? And so there's still maybe it's not as urgent or as critical but there's still an element that they're still not trusting to let out to someone else um so we're we talking about a person who yeah, is seeing like some just, like a counselor yeah and like then, just just going on yeah, like what yeah. you're talking about like just ex- i guess just expanding a little bit and saying like that's positive they are seeing someone they are talking to a psychologist or, or social worker but they've just started opening up to other people outside right. of that within their sort of circle yeah. now well, so yeah, obviously yeah, yeah, that's yeah. quite sort of critical because yeah. because that's their network yeah so the, the social yeah. worker and the psychologist is is like that they've seen that as like a first point of call and then they've got okay now i've got to make steps to bring in to rein in my mm. network and let my network mm. know how i'm feeling and mm. and so does that does that feel like so you make that that judgment so you've only got i've literally only got five minutes to talk to this person while they've hit me with this stuff but it's good they're seeing someone so they're kind of taken care of in a way but there's obviously something pressing that they can't release with someone professionally and they need to release with their search with their with their, with their friends well they might want to you know they might have been holding on to this for years um these feelings of depression of anxiety um, that's affecting their mental health, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they've been able to mask that pretty well for a long time. Sure, yeah. Um, and nobody really knows about what's really happening for them. And then finally, they've, from whatever whatever circumstance led to it, they've talked to a professional person and that's really helped them. And now they feel ready to now let their friendship group know or their work colleagues if this has been impacting there and or whatever the case might be so yeah you're right it's it's kind of and I reckon that's really critical I mean I I know I've been in situations where I haven't let other people know that have been close that I've been happy to talk to somebody outside of that system and that's that's helped and I can think of one example where I then spoke to family members and they had no idea yeah. you know so we can be very clever at keeping things away from people unfortunately you know? <laughs> and this is where suicide is is really insidious because people go in some situations oh, i didn't realize there was a problem yeah you know i didn't i didn't see it what, what's what's happening here because they've been very good at keeping those issues away from everybody else um, and not talking to people about it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, uh, there's situations where and I'm thinking about online bullying, for example, cyberbullying, those sorts of areas, and I'm thinking about teenagers uh, that have taken their own lives where parents have been aware of what's been going on. They've tried to shut it down. They've raised it with the school. They might have raised it with police or whatever. Um, but then it's continued and it's just got too much and they've taken their own life. Um which is really tragic that it that it, it gets to that point where someone has to do that. Oh, it's horrible. You know, 
Um, but yeah, I, I, you take a risk when you tell friends and, and family and other people that you're going to be rejected in some way. Or So you've really got to be strong enough or at the point where um, you can cope with how they might Respond, respond yeah, because you don't know how they're going to respond. No, and like, everybody's different. Like personalities are different. Some people, some people's personalities is I don't really care what other people think. Right? Dinner's on. Uh, I got to so, go, mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like that, even like people who have had things go wrong with them are quite happy to tell people they don't care how people will judge them. Right, um, and so they will tell people where they're down or what's not going well or they might have talked to a professional and then they'll tell family and they're okay with that. Whereas there's others that are very secretive about those things. They feel very um, like they've failed if they admit to a friend or or somebody that they're not coping with something. Do you think that's like Um, kind of going back to the, the language that people use? Do you feel like they're failing... Or they feel like they're failing or, or, uh, or letting people down because of the community, because of the language that's associated with, with mental illnesses and depression and yeah, stuff I think like so. that? Yeah, I think so. Because it's dirty? Yeah, I think in the past, you know, you're seeing it's been wacko and you're just, you know, a subhuman if you had mental health problems sure. and you were diagnosed with a, a mental health, whether it was depression, whether it was bipolar, whether it was whatever else. Um you know that there was something wrong with you you're a less of a person all those sorts of things whereas now it's being seen as it's okay you know if you if you're not coping um talk about it and we'll support you um yeah yeah i I, because i i really i really rate what you were talking about before about the holistic approach how you're um uh, if i if i heard you right was how you look at the life uh, of that person and, and because um, uh, a little bit of happy is good, a little bit of sad is good, a little bit of in-between is good and and managing the balance of, of those three, uh, crudely put, those three emotions versus I'm depressed and then going to see some professional they go, oh, well, we need to bring you up because you need to be happy all the time or, or people thinking that you need to be happy with your life all the time and happy with your situation, your circumstance and everything that's going on. And if you're not, there's something wrong. Because that's not realistic, is it? No, it's not. And I'd say that most professionals in the field get that. It's sure. probably more friends and family that might say, get on with your life. You know, you've got a lot to be happy about. What do you mean? You know, you've got a lot to be thankful for. So don't dwell on the, the negative. Yeah. Whereas people in the field who are worth their salt will sit down with you and do the sorts of things I was talking about before. They'll sit down, they'll listen. They'll, it'll be about them, uh, it'll be about the person and what's best for them. So we're getting better. In terms of welfare practice, if you look at, well, you know, we've had NADOC week this week and we start thinking about what's better for Aboriginal people. Let's separate the children and put them into um, missionaries, uh, missions, yeah. all right? Let's just separate them from their families because that would be better for them. All right. So you've got this welfare-based mentality of what's better for people rather than asking the people themselves what's better for them. What's better for them. And, it, and it upsets me about um, what's happened with Aboriginal people over the last couple of hundred years in terms of being seen as a substandard race, um, you know, to be overcome the whole idea of terrorist nullus where there's nobody here 
So the Brits come in and claim it for themselves. And then you had the Mabo decision, which gave, you know, that recognised that Aboriginal people were here first on the land. Uh, there was another group of people here besides nothing. Um, and then they got the vote in the 60s. Um, and now we've got all the stuff around, uh, you know, a treaty now and a, some sort of voice to parliament now. So it's been, you know, imagine what these Aboriginal people are feeling. And I, I want to digress for a purpose because I, I want to yeah. make a point um, that for years, um, you know, we've done what we think um, is best for Aboriginal people. The predominant white population um, is best for Aboriginal people and, and design programs and do all this sort of stuff as opposed to listening to what Aboriginal people want um, and working more from a community development perspective and I think over time um, over the last couple hundred years uh, we're getting better at listening to the Aboriginal people Um, and we had that statement from the heart a couple of years ago um, with recommendations and that real feeling that government had uh, not really endorsed that and shut that down fairly quickly and so NADOC this week has been a lot of reference back to that and about listening to us and um, you know, the, the, the Minister um, for Aboriginal Affairs or whatever his position is on the Senate now doing some great stuff on TV in terms of talking about what how they're going to move this um, forward to a referendum around having some statement within the Constitution around um, Aboriginal uh, people and what that will look like. So there's that real sense of let's work together, let's um, listen, And I think if you apply that to mental health today, it's about listening to people and what their issues and what their concerns are and understand that some of these things are structural. So in other words, homelessness um, could be the result of not enough housing, affordable housing and those sorts of things. And I was talking to you before about being in the Salvation Army in the city where... You know, yeah. they're accommodating 100-plus people a night. It's, it's insane. Um, it's amazing, but it's know, sad. It is sad. So there are structural problems as to, <laughs> as to why things aren't going well that affect people's mental health, so we have to get better at that. But the whole idea of listening, the, the power in listening to people and their stories, and it goes right back to when we first settled in this country yeah. to now. So, I mean, um, again, expanding on that uh, and... Um, I, I look at this from a personal perspective because that's how I can only ever really look at uh, situations and problems and is, is from a personal perspective. And um, but, but growing up in New Zealand, uh, we had a similar, not similar, but not too dissimilar situation with the English um, coming to New Zealand and, and claiming land. And uh, I mean, they did that all over the world, didn't they? Right, and they came uh, yeah, in and they took yeah. territories. Yeah, that's always going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it's different just, people colonising different countries. Yeah, it's happened history, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, so, but looking at New Zealand as a as a um, specific case, um, what I think personally, and and I want to talk to more people about this because I I have this thought with it, uh, an uneducated <clears throat> personal experience thought. I have a deep, I have a different kind of respect for for the Maori people of New Zealand. I think, where because 
One thing I, I find is that growing up in New Zealand, when, we, when I went to primary school and through high school, we were taught the language. We were taught the Māori language. There was like this big push through the uh, 90s, I think, and even the 80s to, to introduce Māori language in schools because there was a real fear that the language was going to be lost because they didn't have a natural written language. It was a spoken language. And uh, as elders and uh, chiefs and uh, uh, tribes and um, people were dying off and English, and they were predominantly speaking English, the language is a real fear the language was going to be lost. So there was a big uh, national push to develop, learn, write the language down and speak it. So we were taught the language at school, not as a primary language, um, but as a secondary language uh, um, and taught basic things, food, time, weather, how are you? Hello, you know what I mean. Customs, mm. and it, I remember. I, I I look back on it now, and I see Maori people. Um, I mean, people might laugh at this, but I see Maori people not as just Maori people. But I see them as Kiwis. I see them as New Zealanders, and I see the people that live. If you live in New Zealand, I see you as a New Zealander. I see you as a Kiwi. I see you as someone equal mm. to me equal to everyone else that lives there. I don't see it as separate. I don't mm. see Māori mm. people as separate to, you know, uh, European background people or uh, Asian background people. It just, it just it feels collective. Mm. And it's one of the things I look at in terms of the uh, Australian approach here. You, I mean, there's issues faced with this, but the, I, I wonder if just being taught the language in terms of going back to what you're saying about listening and communicating with people and listening to their problems, having a deeper understanding of their culture, just basically, mm. just through a basic language perspective, I mm. wonder if that would improve things. And well, I think it's happening more now. Like I, I remember, um, you know, I've got this little book. Um, it's interesting. This is a. I found this. This is a little book. It's called Social Studies. And this is going back many decades for me, sure. right? But social studies was about understanding people and society and things like that. So, you know, if you kind of go through this little book, um, and oh, this, is you, a, this is in grade five. This is an old uh, A4, well, not even A4, A5. Uh, this, this isn't about, yeah, a little, 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 little tiny textbook. Yeah. Textbook. And this would have been, I would have done this in 1969, all right? Yeah. When I was in grade six, yeah? Yeah. So what do we learn about? We learn about the first fleet, the Endeavour. There you go. Botany Bay. Then we talk about Captain Cook. Then we learn about some other countries. Okay, Were you looking Middle at East. Uh, Middle East there? Yeah. Middle East, a bit of a passport. Is that learning about your passport, Australian uh, passport? That was me doing a little bit of a passport and things that I was things that here, I like and, and, and I have a photo. photo. That would be a photo for myself. Yeah, sure. Old Australians are those people whose fathers and grandfathers have lived in this country for many years. They are mostly of British descent. So we learnt that. But there's no mention of Aboriginal people no. who lived here for, you know, many thousands of years. Well, it's even got new Australians. In Australia, people who have recently arrived from Europe. Or Asia. Or Asia. We should help them by making them our friends. Most new Australians are splendid people who will help Australia to become a greater nation. So that's people <laughs> that have come out since. Yeah. Australia to Europe. 
Um, no, I'm going to stuff there. Then we'll do that. Then we talked a bit about Egypt. Uh, then we talked about the Romans in Britain. <laughs> <laughs> then we got pictures of Britain. And um, then we learn about what they the did. Barbarians. The barbarians in Britain. Oh, okay. And how Britain became England. Oh, something. was that hitting? Um, <laughs> King Alfred. He was important. Yeah. And then we looked at the Norman Conquest. <laughs> An early English village. Um, siege machines of the Crusaders. So we're getting a pretty, um, pretty good picture. Edward, the it's, Middle it's Ages. Really colourful. It's a really colourful. <laughs> the Black Death, in the thirteen forty-eight yeah, in Britain. Yeah, it's important to learn about. I mean, there's, it's a really colourful book of of where you've drawn pictures, uh, highlighted headings, and then obviously copied stuff down that was written on the board. Is that yeah. right? The blackboard yeah, where the teacher yeah. was gone. Let's look at this, and they've written that down. Now everyone copy it down. And you'd sit down there for 10, 15 minutes and copy down what was on the board. Yeah. And so, and you've learnt about the conquests, really, haven't yeah, you? Yeah, well, we've learnt about all about British history. Yeah. Yeah, and this was from a guy at the time, I reckon he was about 60, 65, about ready to retire. So he's, he's kind of brought that in. So coming back to your point before about um, understanding, the more understanding we have of people and situations the better we're able to welcome people and things become normal um so the thing was there's no discussion about aboriginal people no, in any of that not even a mention so then i'm growing up through generations of not knowing much about the history at all and so they're seen as foreign as different as not connected as opposed to had we been learning about that over the last 200 years how different our society would be in terms of Aboriginal people and working together. And I sort of wonder what sort of a different society this would have been had we accepted Aboriginal people right from the get-go. If you look at um, understanding um, their different customs and rituals, their understanding of use of food, preparation of food, um, you know, all those things that they would have brought into our culture and would have created a very different situation. Can I, can I add something to this? So I just I'm just pulling myself up here because I'm just amused, kind of uh, awkwardly amused about the way that we're talking about this because it goes exactly as to what we were talking earlier is that we're talking about how we can bring their culture so that we can understand it rather than us trying to understand their culture. Exactly. Exactly. And that feels like the problem to me. That feels like we're trying to, how can we accept them in our culture, which goes direct relationship as to what you're talking about as a, as a social worker or as a psychologist about listening to an individual and how can, how can that person feel connected in their world? And valued in their world, exactly. And so just, I, just, I just thought it was ironic that we were talking about how... Yeah, no, I think that this is how it all connects structurally. Sure. Um, and this is why, you know, if we were better at listening and welcoming people in as they are with their stories and what can we learn and um, tell us how we might be able to assist you, yeah. um, then it's pervasive across everything, including people with mental health um Issues, which has been one of the main focuses of yeah. this this chat today, that um, 
you know, if someone comes in, rather than me have all my solutions about how to fix it, which is how we've tended to do things, for example, with Aboriginal people, and we're starting to learn to listen more now, um, then I think it'd be a far healthier environment because, you know, it's, it's around how we've accepted disability in the last few years. You know, with the National Disability Support Scheme operating, sure. and that we aren't locking people away like we're used to in institutions. The problem has been we've shut down the institution where people who were seen to be criminal, um, who were seen, you know, with mental health problems and those sorts of things had to be locked away. We've, we've brought them out into the community, but we haven't supported that side enough all right um so there's issues around accommodation and those sorts of things um but the point is that it's only when we listen to people and their stories that we're going to have the best hope of being able to support them in the best possible way and that's not just mental health that's that's across everything it's across everything of which mental health is a sub part of that yeah for sure that's that's culture that's uh aboriginal that's and that's also like individuals within communities as well like like an individual feeling ostracized not just because of a race or a gender thing but just because they're ostracized because they're not liked yeah yeah well it could be cultural um you know um you know you sort of look at the muslim population and uh, hitting everybody as terrorists whereas they're not um so it's about accepting i think we're very good in australia in terms of multiculturalism i think we've been very good at, at, at accepting culture and the differences between cultures um but yeah we've still got lots of work to do obviously you know in that space i hope i hope we think that (laughs) <laughs> I, think, I hope that we think we've got a lot of work to do because I, that's how I see it. I see like that it's a perpetual, uh, it's, a con, it's continuous. I think it's, it's, there's always something to learn. There's always something to understand. There's always to be, like there's that saying, um, I don't know who, I don't know who said it or who, who, who the quote is, but it's saying um, we do the best with what we have, with what we know until we know better so we can do better. Yeah. And I think about that. It's just about constantly learning and constantly improving and evolving as an as a individual and then as a community and then as a country, collectively, yeah. you know. I think so. And I think this whole idea of collectively is really important. It comes right down to when you might be someone's approached you because they're not coping with something or not happy with something. Like, do it. Like do it together. Like once you've you felt like you understand, you've given them enough opportunity to explain what it is that's upsetting them or bothering them. Yeah. Um, you know, asking them what's going to assist them rather than us telling them what we think will work. And we're all. I mean, I'm guilty of that. You know, I've got to pull myself back from providing solutions and answers to listening to because that might not be suitable for that person sure you know um i've got to kind of trust that um um i've got to trust that the whole process of them opening up and talking will assist them to move forward sure because often it's about embarrassment guilt failure sense of failure but if they feel that they can move forward then you start empowering them to take action and um, a lot of my work over time has been about you know 
empowering people, whether that's students who have come into our school because they haven't coped, you know, with the mainstream program, um, through to young people who need a mentor in their lives, so working in that program, through to child protection that was around empowering young people to make some decisions about where they live and what they do, um, empowering parents to take action and and do what they need to do to create a better living situation. So I think that's the other part of it. Listening listening is so critical. As I was saying before, if people can learn to listen and just hear without providing quick fixes, quick answers to problems, and then secondly, being able to move on to empowerment, empowering them and what needs to be done to empower people. Sometimes you need to be an advocate for yeah, sure. them and, and link them to supports and services and those sorts of things. You'd be surprised. You may not have all the answers. You may not understand the complexities of their problems, but you don't have to. That's okay. Yeah, yeah and I think this is what people, um, they feel, oh, I can't really talk with that person because they really don't know what to do for them yeah i don't know what so they don't get into those conversations and and i've seen a lot of people get quite uncomfortable and they've told me about it you know someone's opened up about something and i don't, I don't know what to do you know i don't know what to do and, and they're, they're almost like they're the person that's speaking to them expects them to know what to do um sometimes people will ask you i don't know what to do tell me what i need to do all right so they they are putting it on that person to find a solution. Yeah, I want a solution. I, I need to know, I need to know. But you've got to feel okay in saying, look, I'm not you. I, I don't know what what you should do in this situation, but I can provide some options. Um, I can um, listen to, to what's going on. Let's just start there. Do you think um, some of those times that people are just trying to find the right answer versus just trying to find a answer? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, if they've got a problem, I've got to fix it. Um, tell me how I can fix it. You tell me how I can fix my problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas it's a bit of ass about, really. Um, and you run into trouble uh, because if you tell me what I should do and it doesn't work out, who am I going to blame? Yeah, it's already started with me putting responsibility on you because <laughs> yeah, you'll sure. tell me. Yeah. So if it doesn't work, it's going to be your fault. If it works out really well, I'm going to slap you on the back and go, fantastic, thanks for that, thanks for that. But you don't want to operate in that space. Something we learn early on in our welfare-based careers for people in that field yeah. is that you're not there to be you know, providing answers for people. You know, you're there to help them walk their own journey and to do um, to do what they feel is is best for them. Um, and certainly, you don't want them to go down the track of um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, and maladaptive forms of coping. Yeah, sure. Um, but really healthy ways of of coping. Um, the only difference to that would be more statutory type welfare-based work like child protection or youth justice or whatever where you do, you actually take, you do make decisions for people. You come in and you remove children or you, you know, go to court and you have, you know, argue for particular court orders that a magistrate makes. Um, but by and large, people um, can make their own decisions with support, with support. 
with a bit um, of guidance. With a bit of guidance and yeah. a bit of support. And if you don't know, I mean, the thing is not to worry. As, as someone is trying to assist somebody else, not worrying if you don't know how to fix something and, and to try not to get caught into providing the answer. Um, feel okay about saying, look, I, I, I'm not you, I don't really know, but let's talk about some possibilities, some options. Work some shit out. Yeah, because options is not about me telling you, it's about putting some stuff on the table. And then you can say to them, which, which one looks best for you? And I'll support you with that. Yeah. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, come back and tell me. Let me know how it's going. Yeah. So then you, it's you're just, invested. It's, it's You've got nurturing. Invest, a, uh, it's a nurturing, yes. Yeah, you're nurturing it. So, you know, you might have an hour with them. You've got to go off and do other things. Okay, have a think about what we've talked about. How about we catch up in a week's time? Or let's catch up in a couple of weeks and see yeah. where you're at. But in the meantime, if you need to give us a buzz, give us a buzz. Um, and set some boundaries around that. Um, and um, it might be then worth, you know, if you're dealing with someone that's quite critical, um, you may have to start thinking about making some phone calls yourself to go, gee, I really, I'm really struggling here. So you might <laughs> ring a service yourself, yeah, and go, um, you might ring Beyond Blue or, sorry, Beyond Blue, I think, just doing their stuff on... Depression um, on online, but you might contact really? Headspace. I think Beyond Blue is mainly online resources, you can, and you can ring up. Actually, I know an advocate for Beyond Blue. I might I might check in with them and, and find out what their um, scope is because she's a um, advocate. What do you call it? Like a uh, I forget what the name is, but someone that an advocate. That, that's, that's the that best can language support I've ever, people. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you know, Headspace, you can um, you know make appointments to to see them and, and talk with them. Um, We're just starting to get better at talking about. Mm. I, I I agree with you about the listening. I don't think people know how to listen, and that's maybe something that I, I want to ask. Um, on that, is is we've talked about people being better at listening, and then we've talked about people need to learn how to listen but how do they do that and where do they learn to listen like is that something that you teach kids or is it something that you teach adults to teach kids uh look i think it happens all through the lifespan in different ways um um you know from my background is in community services work so i've learnt that through education um in the course courses i've done and training i've done um, so, and I'm teaching, I'll be teaching um, a, a bit about communication um, shortly. So, so you can do it that way, obviously. Um, because it's, listening's yeah. about, as you were saying, listening's about removing your own personal whatevers and being able to put yourself I mean, there's that old saying, put yourself in that other person's Absolutely. shoes. Absolutely. But it's, it's not easy. Yeah, and that's what we mean by empathy. Yeah, So sure, that's a sure. word that um, probably, unless you're sort of in that field, you don't kind of think about it too much. But it's um, being able to feel as the person's feeling. Um, and um, so someone's upset, it doesn't necessarily mean that you cry um, um, or if someone's angry about something that you get really pissed off as well and, and angry um, but 
you start to get a sense, like you were saying, putting yourself in their shoes. What you're trying to do is um, understand where they're coming from. Sure. You know, where are they hurting? You know, is this upsetting them? I reckon, I mean, I think anybody can do this with a bit of practice. And um, the challenge is in any of the relationships that you have with people, um, um, and it may not be around a problem, might be around something good that they're telling you. Yeah. Are you able to enter into their space and, and get a sense of what they're feeling? Without being uh, invasive. Uh, yeah. Are they feeling happy, sad, depressed, um, angry, all those different emotions? And a, a way to check that, it sounds easy, but people don't tend to do it. And that is, that is, it sounds as though, it sounds to me that you're pretty upset about what's just happened. Yeah. Um, and you don't say in a condescending way or in a, you know, a scripted way, you've got to use your own language for that. But what you're trying to do is you're trying to enter their space. And that rarely happens with people when you communicate. Especially when people are communicating things that really matter. Um, not much goes on at all. They, they tell you how, you know, they tell you what's going on. Yeah. And um, most people don't really know what to do next. Really? Um, um, so I think... Uh, and then they'll change the topic. They'll go on to someone else. Right? These, these nuts uh, are great. <laughs> these nuts are great. Yeah, you want to, can I make you another cup of tea? Or whatever the case was. Oh, yeah, right, we'll come back to that. And then you never do. So I think the thing is, it, the exercise for people is to, one, listen yeah. without interrupting and um, reflect back and say, yeah, it sounds like what you're telling me. Just hang on a minute, because you might have been hitting me with 10,000 different things over five minutes. Um, hang on a minute, I just want to get this right. So what you're telling me is um, that you've broken up with your girlfriend last weekend, you've had a, a pretty bad week, you haven't attended work on a couple of days because you're feeling pretty down about what happened, and you really don't know where to go next. Is that right? Have I, have I kind of got that? Yeah. And they'll say yes or no, or they'll say, yeah, yeah, but remember, you know, oh, you know, and I got myself, you know, or they might even add to it, you know, I got myself drunk a couple of, I got drunk a couple of nights as well, and blah, 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 okay, okay, okay. So what you're learning to do is listen, reflect back, and, and the empathetic part of it is, so it sounds as though, you know, you, you're quite angry about what's happened here. You've broken up with your girlfriend. You didn't really want to. You didn't feel that that was fair. And you feel like, it sounds like what you're saying is that, is that um, you know, whilst things have been tough, you um, thought that there was still hope in the relationship. Is, it, is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. And once somebody hears that you kind of get it, wow. Yeah. You know, they go, yeah. In fact... I reckon you're the first person that kind of gets it. That's you you a, might hear that. This is the trust thing, isn't um, it? So it doesn't require much. It doesn't. I, I don't need to have a background in counselling or um, psychology or mental health or any of those things. It's just simply listening. So it's extremely powerful. 
um, we kind of get caught up in, oh, you know, talk to somebody, talk, you know, yeah. try and offload them yeah. to professionals. But what happens with professionals is they have only got you for an hour and then they'll have to close it down and you may not see them for another week. They don't know you. They don't have a background of who you are. So that's why if you can learn to do this in your normal day-to-day relationships with the people that mean something to you, like your partners, your family, good friends, whatever, then that's probably some of the, the healthiest way to do that. Sure. Yeah, because they know you, they get you, they've been with you all your, all your life. Um, but it is hard. And we still, even in good, you know, in inverted commas, relationships between family members, that can still not happen because of past history around a whole range of things. Sure. All right? So I get that. I get that. Um, but where you can find someone that you can do that with. But you can practice it all over the place at work, you know, just listen to what they've got to tell you and reflect back. It is empowering, very empowering. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... It's a um, do you mm. think that... I reckon that... Do you think that every, like, every single person at some stage in their life goes through some sort of mental difficulty or, or some challenge? Or? Yeah, I think so. I think people... Um, you know, I just sort of think about there's this scale, um, one to a hundred or, or something like that, and um, you know, the death of a spouse or a, a, a breakup of a, a relationship, um, unemployment, those sorts of things are um, are points that all create stress. Yeah. And um, you know, if you're getting a number of those things happening at the same time, um, then on that scale, you, 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 you know, you're hitting. Um, what could be quite a, a, a stressful time um, for you, and it's everybody's going to go through things like that. I mean, you know, they have a, a parent who who passes away, yeah, um, and they go to a funeral and they deal with a whole lot of emotions. They have a relationship that's been going for, you know, ten, twenty years, thirty years, break down, um, and. You know, they've got to go through that. So I think everybody goes through, like a, a death of, um, you know, we hear it on the news and, you know, just this week with that, that dog that, um, you know, that mauled the, the um, um, you know, that elderly man and, um, and, and now he's dead. Um, <laughs> this is, so sudden, you know, sudden things like that it can trigger you and like everybody's, everybody's experiencing these things. All right, it's just normal, and it's about how we 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 manage um, uh, loss in our life, um, whether it's a loss of a job, whether it's loss of a relationship. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, that's us sitting here in Melbourne. Um, but then you sort of think about people who are transient and who are migrating and moving out of war-torn countries and how they must go. We, we think about people that are still sitting in sitting on Nauru. Um, and it came up this week about, um, from a human rights perspective, whether that can be argued as a form of torture. Indefinite in, uh, detention on an island. Well, it's solitude, um, isn't it? Solitude. Yeah, so there's... I mean, I'm, yeah. I mean, they, these things are <laughs> happening at all different levels. Um, everybody... I don't think anybody's immune from um, from these sorts of events, is my point. And it just depends on what... Uh, can I just mention something else that comes with all of this? Please. And that is resilience. Um, so your ability to, to, to be resilient and develop resilience. How do we develop that? 
often it's through adversity. Um, stamina and resilience are two really interesting areas to look at. Um, and so people might have come through a whole lot of bad stuff in their lives, um, but they develop a sense of resilience to that. And I think about that young girl I mentioned, 15-year-old mother, heroin, now methadone, yep. living in a neglect household where mum's not getting up during the day and all that sort of stuff, has developed a, a sense of resilience and stamina to push on to a much better life. So that's where, you know, people can sort of think about and worry about that they've been exposed to all these things. Um, it might have been abuse as a child growing up. Um, and they never recover. You see some people that are just forever traumatised. Post-traumatic stress disorder from sexual abuse would be an example. Not being able to hold a relationship, a proper sexual relationship with somebody as a result of that. And I feel really sad that uh, for some people they can't move beyond the trauma of the event, whereas for other people they can. And, and what's the difference there? What, what, why are some people able to yeah, that's move I, on yeah. um, and others aren't? And I think for a lot of people, it's an ability to be able to talk about it, um, feel that you're supported, feel that you're able to um, move on. Um, so I think all of that plays into it as well. There's a... Um not to discredit, I really don't want to discredit what we're saying, but there's a um, something that really stuck with me early on um, in my early 20s, I think, was, was quite an important time for me um, as I was uh, making a lot of life choices that were fairly nefarious. <laughs> and I sort of had to make a decision. And while this probably wasn't the most... Um, you know, it wasn't a catalyst of the main thing that sort of that sort of drove me to, to making uh, better decisions in my life. Was um, uh, I was watching daytime television uh, and Dr. Phil was on, and there was a guest that Dr. Phil had on, um, and she was going through. Uh, she was an adult. Uh, she was in her thirties, maybe forty, and she was going through a lot of troubles in her life. Um, because she couldn't, she was finding it difficult to move past some um, uh, abuse that had happened earlier on in her childhood um, that was in direct relation to her father, uh, uh, where, where she was abused, uh, I think, physically, uh, sexually, or um, uh, and mentally as well, that goes along with it, the mental abuse. And so she found it really difficult to move on from that. Um, and, I mean, it's... One thing that he said to her was that at some point you've got to stop blaming people for your past and you've got to stop you've got to start taking responsibility for a future. Your past doesn't determine what you do tomorrow. Your decision that you do now and you've got to start taking accountability for yourself now as an adult otherwise you'll never get past it. Do you think that's something that people can can do because it's not an easy thing to do is is to is to because people want validation they want validation for their past for for things that have happened to them that was outside of their control because they were children or young adults and it's mm. there's things that you can't control that happen to you yeah and then as an adult there's things a lot more things that you can control because you're given more responsibility you're assuming more responsibility as an adult 
uh, through independence, let's say. Uh, let's talk about as Melbourne today or as Australia or as a, as a, a, um, a developed country, you're, 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 you have more control of your future. Do you think that's accountability and responsibility is something that people find difficult to assume or find difficult to, to take hold of because they want validation or because they're still seeking validation and they don't want that response, they don't want, they find it difficult to want to take responsibility because it's difficult? Um, yes. And that's why people, one of the reasons, I mean, I'm just spitballing and sandboxing, but one of the reasons why people find it difficult to break a cycle and some people do break cycles is because they start taking accountability for what who they are as a person and their actions. Well, I think the the absolutely. I th- I think that the way people change is by taking accountability yeah. for themselves um, and uh, listen to what people are saying. Yeah, sure, um, sure. And then making a decision about. Um, what they're going to do about that but if they're not wanting to take responsibility for what's going on and they're blaming other people for so for example they're using substances and they're blaming um, a bad background for that um, um, you know we talked about adaptive and maladaptive ways of coping yeah sure so um, rather than using um, saying look I can't change this is you know i've just had a really bad upbringing and da, 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 and this is how i'm coping with my drug use well they can still make a decision about how they're going to cope with that so a more adaptive way of them coping with that is have a talk with someone you know and then that might sort of change that might give them some permission to talk about things that they've never talked to anybody about before sure. to express how they really feel and like i was saying before if people get an opportunity to talk and bring it out to the open they can see it they can start dealing with it and then they can start changing so it is ultimately and this is what would frustrate this is what frustrates i suppose a lot of people in the caring field is that um you can't sort of force people to change no you've got to provide incentive options but there will be consequences if they don't change Right. And some of those might be criminal sanctions. They might get locked up for their behaviour. Um, they, uh, you know, that it might mean that their relationships aren't repaired. Yeah, sure. Um, so there are consequences, but at the end of the day, people will make decisions. And some people are happy, or most people are happy to live with the consequences. Huh? Yeah. They, they know that things won't be as good... Um, but they're not prepared to apologise, say they're sorry, um, start again. Or forgive. Or forgive. Um, and that's, you know, you sort of see that with family members that have got lifetime feuds and stuff like that. And things don't change because people aren't prepared. Uh, and as a friend, you might sort of make some suggestions or, or whatever around that. But if they're not prepared to do it, then... Um, it'll stay the way it is and that can be frustrating for people watching on um you know that whole area of mental health um you know you can see that the person has an issue it's the way they're behaving it's the way they're not coping with things but if they're not prepared to do anything about it then what can you do what can you do 
Um, and that can be really frustrating for people who can see this around. This is often why people try and get in their ear and tell them what they should do. Huh? That's the fix in the Because it's affecting them. Yeah. I mean, it's affecting <laughs> them as well. You know, they're not coping with the fact that they've got a mental health problem and they're being an absolute pain in the ass around the place and doing X, Y and Z. And, you know, they're, 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 they're trying to have a good life themselves and, you know, they're trying to tell them... You know, you need to blah, 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 blah. And they just hear that as being, you don't understand, what would you know, um, blah, blah, blah. So the whole thing just sort of shuts down and everybody just gets frustrated. So you have to take a different approach if you're a helper um, and listen, like I was saying before. Yeah. All right, well, tell me what's frustrating you. Let's see if we can deal with some of this uh, and then move forward. So, yeah, I reckon taking responsibility is such a big part of... Um, health, but it's a big step of, of though, positive mental health yeah. for everybody. Yeah, I mean a whole area of self care. Um, you know, it came up in a discussion where I'm supporting students who are on placement um, and in the community services area. And one of the questions is around some feedback from their supervisor about their ability to self care. You know. So are they good if they're not coping with the people they're working with? Are they talking to people about it? If they're not well enough to be at work, are they taking some time off work? But self-care also means like diet as well, as, exercise. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. That's, is that something that gets mentioned? Sleep. Sleep. Is, the Was other it, thing? is that something that gets mentioned enough or at all, do you think, in terms of these situations where people are like, they start opening up about or want to open up about things and, and do people look at diet and their lifestyle, well, not just outside of drugs and alcohol? But Well, if we come back to that holistic approach, yeah. I think the better workers are working from a holistic point of view. So they're looking at exercise, diet, sleep, um, other things that are going on in their lives that could be points of um, stress or tension yeah. for them, apart from the presenting problem. So the presenting problem... is a ramification. Yeah. So yeah. Don't, don't just deal with the presenting problem. Um, this is the thing. You can have, say, a drug and alcohol worker working with somebody. They may not have used drugs themselves in the past. And you think, oh, what good would they be as a drug and alcohol worker? And that is because the drug or alcohol use is, could be, usually is symptomatic of a much bigger problem. Yeah, sure. So let's talk about what's driving you to drink and to use drugs. What's happening in your life? You know, if for someone who's in with, it might be around they have no friends. So they've linked in with this peer group that are all drinkers and there's a pressure on them to drink or to use drugs. Um, and they understand that if they break away from that, they'll have no one. So part of your work with them is to say, okay, have you thought about maybe joining another group? Is there, is there a hobby or an interest that you, you're into? Oh, yeah, I've always wanted to ride motorbikes. Oh, well, um, have you thought about joining a group? You know? So linking them into into sort of hobbies and interests might be a way in which they can sort of re-channel re, re that. Yeah, sure. Um, so it's always, you know, drugs and alcohol is usually symptomatic of something that's happening at a far deeper level. So unless you can look at that um, and understand people more holistically... You kind of pick off little things but never really attack the main problem or yeah. the main driver for what's what's happening. Yeah. Um, 
We've been talking for a good time now. (laughs) (laughs) I think for me, like, personally, like, this has been really... There's some things definitely that that I will personally take away from this. I mean, there's things that I usually take away whenever I chat with you, like uh, the amount of years that I've spent um, um, with... So, because I've, I've got, I, I, I think I'm really fortunate now in my life. I've got a really good friendship group. I think mm. the people that I've surrounded myself with now are, I think, are just incredible people. And there are, and um, one of them in particular is a, definitely a testament to, because of 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 you, because he's your son. Oh right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah, a, yeah, he's a he's uh, a good boy. He <laughs> so I think I'm really fortunate because I've got a really good network of people, and I and I've been on the other end though, where I've been. Um, not in such good groups mm. or I've been, you know, quite um, quite lonely, I guess, as mm. a person not feeling like I've had a lot a good network. But now I've got a really good network and I feel in a really good position to to make better choices in life because I feel mm. more complete as a person having yeah, a good network. Yeah. And so I know, but there's always like having known um Carl <coughs> and having him as as one of my close friends, it's I've always, you know, and chatting to you I've always taken something away because you're quite an aware person you're an observant person and you're very knowledged as, uh, in some areas yes yeah you know. uh, <laughs> and we're all still learning and we're yeah. all still growing and developing yeah as well. but the curiosity I think is the one thing it's like being curious in, in, in people and in, um, in life just in general and, and why life ticks the way it does it's imperfections um, so is there anything I guess in closing is there anything that you feel like you need to say or you feel like you want to close with while we're here? Um, yeah, I guess um, I suppose one of the main themes today was around mental health. Sure. Um, and so I think we've done a lot to, um, as a society, to accept that, particularly around the areas of depression and anxiety, Um that it's okay to um, talk about those things and it's also okay to ask if people are okay. Um, Communication uh, is such a critical part and I'm hoping, yeah, and I think we've we've kind of talked a bit more about the importance of communication, that it's not always about providing solutions to people but just listening and the importance of listening and that it's something that we can do um, in all our relationships. So you don't have to be in a counselling situation to practice these things. It's about practicing these things in your day-to-day life with everybody. Yeah. And it's seeing um, and, and it helps us understand and connect with people better too. If we can listen to their stories, whether they're good or bad or on struggle street or or you know, achievements. Um, then, you know, we can celebrate those things as well as try and support the best way we can and realise that support doesn't mean that um, we need to know everything. It, it, it might mean, um, you know, talking about options and, um, you know, maybe finding someone or offering to find someone that might be able to assist them. Yeah. Um, you know, and giving people choice about stuff. Um you know, um, 
you know, sometimes when we think we know the answer to something, we, we're not giving people choice. We want them to listen to what what our solution is, yeah, you know. Which and we, is can, removing. We, we can get frustrated and yeah. we tend to do that with the people that we're closest with because we have more of that situation of, of openness with them. And we can go away and go, oh, you know, if only they'd uh, listen a bit more to what I've just said or something like that. But then in doing that, when we reflect on that, we're going to understand that they are their own person as well. They're actually a person with their own thoughts, their own beliefs, their own emotions, their own drivers for what makes them tick. And so we have to accept that um, people are different from us. You know, we're not we're not all the same. And um, so I think by being more aware, being more open, um, we can enjoy. Um, life with other people but we're all also which i think is just as important we can hear when things aren't so good sure and we can connect with that and i think if we can do both those things then you know we're looking better i reckon that's better for us better for a society better for the planet there you go. <laughs> Planets are that's another topic. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I mean, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Poor management, really. Let's be honest. Um, well, I hope you've enjoyed your. Is this your, this is your first podcast? Experience? My first podcast. Yes, thank have you, Karen. Have you enjoyed it? I have enjoyed it. It's been very interesting just to chat about stuff. I like the thing I like about the podcast is that because it's not a network thing or not a radio thing there's no limitation there's i don't have like a limitation on time so you can really break into having a chat about something and then it's really accessible for people mm. you know people aren't restricted as to where they can listen to as long as you've got the internet you can have a listen i just hope i've tapped into the things that you wanted to get out of today i was spot on spot on is that all right yeah, yeah okay, it was okay. spot on like i've been I, <clears throat> you have because it's about talking it's about communication it's about being open and it's it's about starting that dialogue that you're talking about and mm. you know like how how is you know like what we've done today is like if anything and at the very least an incredibly good foundation for me personally uh, and other people just to even start from yeah, just absolutely. to start thinking about those things yeah so I've enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed the chat. So have I. <laughs> thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for your selection of nuts and seeds and no your cup worries. of tea. And, uh, the, the fire has gone out, yeah, so hopefully it's not, not too cold now. But no. anyway. Um, and, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. No worries, Karen. Cool. Thanks, bro. Thanks, mate. See ya. Okay, so thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Alan Topmarks, for jumping on the podcast and uh, having some difficult discussions and conversation with me around um, mental health and um, God, youth and challenges that we all face as a society today. So that was a really great, really great chat. I really enjoyed it. Um, thank you to everyone out there listening. As always, please subscribe and like. If you like the episodes, if you like the podcast, subscribe. Uh, it's a big help. Uh, big ups for me. 
Um, also, I have to mention, um, if you are feeling uh, depressed or sad or uh, you're struggling with some mental illnesses right now or you know someone that is struggling with mental illnesses or you suspect that they are, uh, don't forget to reach out to them or uh, reach out to your friends and your network and don't be afraid to talk about it. It's um, Do not be afraid to talk about it. There's also really great organizations that you can contact. Um, like Beyond Blue, uh, where you can find them at beyondblue.org.au. Um, really amazing uh, youth networks you can contact called uh, Reach, uh, which you can find those guys at reach.org.au. Um, but also you can, um, do not be afraid to talk to friends and family or even a complete stranger or your local GP. Um, uh, mental health is something to take seriously and uh, don't take your good days for granted and your network and your friends and your family for granted or yourself um, on that uh, on an up note uh, again thank you for listening and uh, stay happy stay peaceful and catch you later